we got at least something. So the 12 days of Christmas are the 12 days following Christmas, and that 12th day is Epiphany. It's celebrated January 6th all over the world, and in a lot of traditions, the Sunday closest to January 6th, so that's why for us it's today the 7th. But that's at least one fact we all know something about Epiphany. Another one to take home is the way other traditions celebrate Epiphany. It's kind of fun. Some Orthodox traditions on Epiphany, everybody brings their Christmas trees, and because Epiphany is a celebration of light in the darkness, they burn all the Christmas trees together at night. Kind of sounds like the coolest bonfire you could ever be a part of. Other traditions, they wouldn't gather for a church service like this. We'd have a big feast. Everybody would eat. The kids would play. Everybody would have fun. And then if we were Russian Orthodox, we would go dive in a frozen lake three times to represent the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I, I don't know why it's always mentioned it's a frozen lake, but I'm thankful we didn't hold on to that tradition from the, uh, from the Orthodox Church. So I say all that to say Epiphany is a really big deal in the history of the church. And this morning, we're going to dive into the traditional text of Epiphany, Matthew 2, 1 through 12. And this is the story of the Magi. So we're going to read this together. I believe the words are going to be on the screen. So Matthew 2, 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born, King of the Jews? We saw his star, and when it rose, we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard that he was, that he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least of the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact place or exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
So today is Epiphany Sunday. It's a celebration of light in the darkness. And in our text, we hear about literally a light. There is a star that is guiding these magi from the east. I want to start off by thinking about the word epiphany. I, the Webster's Dictionary definition says an epiphany is a usually sudden manifestation or perception of the essential nature or meaning of something. It's an intuitive grasp of reality through something such as an event, usually simple and striking. It's an illuminating discovery, realization, or disclosure. So sort of blending those together because I like the different adjectives they used. An epiphany is a big, sudden, striking, illuminating perception of the essential nature or meaning of something. That is what we're celebrating at Epiphany. In our text, the wise men are traveling from the east. Sometimes they're called magi, and I thought this was an interesting thing as I was doing some research for this Sunday. The word magi, when I was growing up, I always thought of like a wizard, like a magician, and that is not close to what this translation would mean. It's the Greek word magoi, and it's, it's more like a philosopher or a student, somebody who has an insatiable curiosity. So that's why wise men is maybe a better translation or, or a more fitting translation. But these are, are curious people who are really smart, who studied and they wanted to learn. When historians look at this language and, and Magoy and where these people would have come from, we always hear they were coming from the East. Most historians point to what is modern day Western Iraq, which is about 600 miles from Bethlehem. And as we're going through this story and we're thinking about the Magi, I just wanna highlight, I think sometimes we overlook what they really did to get there on that day when they met Jesus. Like, I don't know if you can imagine talking to your wife or your friend or your family and saying, okay, something has fundamentally changed in the world. There is a star and it's different and, and something is moving. God is moving. I don't know the details. I don't know what it is. And they say, hey, honey, I love you. I gotta go on a trip. I don't know how far it is, could be 600 miles, and we're walking or taking donkeys, and I don't know when we'll be back, but I have to pursue this. God is moving. Something is fundamentally different in the world. There is light in the darkness, and I need to pursue it. This wasn't somebody going a mile down the road. This was a really big commitment that these men made. And they did it. They went. And I'm not going to answer the question, but I want to just ponder why. What would it take for you to, to be so inspired to pursue the light that you're willing to leave everything and go because you know that God is working, that something is fundamentally different about the world? So the Magi go. They travel hundreds of miles, and they get to Israel, 
and they're in Israel, and the, the star's bright, but they don't know exactly where to go. I got to think, you know, a star's not like dropping a pin on Google Maps, right? Like, it, it gives you an area. So they do something pretty smart. They go to the leadership. They go to King Herod, and they say, hey, we, have you seen this star? Have you seen this light? The king is here. Something is, is changed. God is working. And I want to go back to the verse for how King Herod responds to that. The Magi say, We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So we have foreigners, non-Jews, people who don't know the, the text and they don't know the scripture and they don't know the prophecies, and they see a light and they pursue it. And the people we would expect to go after that light and pursue it, the God's chosen people, the people in Israel, the people who knew the text and the prophecies, hear about it, and their gut reaction is, I don't know. I'm not sure about this one. So the Magi talk to them, and they say, well, where is, where is your Messiah supposed to be born? What's going on? And they get an answer. So the people in Jerusalem knew. They say, yeah, it's in Bethlehem. It's in Judea. And another interesting thing to note here is that they tell the Magi where the Messiah should be. And then Herod tells the Magi, yeah, go, go find him and let me know. But the Magi go, it doesn't say all the religious leaders, all the religious people, all the people who knew the right things to say and do in the scriptures, they sprinted off to Bethlehem. They all stay. The people who go to Bethlehem are the Magi. The people you would expect stay in Jerusalem. And because the Magi went, they get the privilege of being the main characters in this passage. In one of the earliest stories in Jesus' life, the Magi are among the first people to see the light, to recognize it, to pursue it, and to have the epiphany that this is God. The religious people knew so much that they didn't think they had to look. The outsiders had their eyes open and had the privilege of being the first people to come recognize Jesus, God in the flesh, and worship him. So my question as we start off 2024, as we start off this year is, are we the type of people who are pursuing that light at every opportunity. And I think sometimes it's easy to say that, but I think sometimes in reality, we're more like the religious leaders in Jerusalem. As religious people, as Christians, it's really, really easy to think of God as somebody in a book, 
And we come here on Sundays and we open up that book and we learn a little bit about God and then we close that book and we put it on the shelf. And if we're really good, we might open it for a Bible study once a week or twice a week. We might open the app on our phone. But I want us to ask ourselves, are we the type of people who are recognizing the light and pursuing it? I'm the type of person who can be pretty academic. I can get in my head about things. And I think it's really easy for me, and I would guess easy for some of you, when there's darkness, to take God out of the equation first. If there's a problem in my life, okay, we'll take God out of this equation. I'm going to solve this problem at work or with my family or whatever it is. I'm going to figure it out, and then maybe we'll sprinkle God on top at the end. But it's really easy to say, well, I know what the Bible says. I know how this is supposed to be. So, yeah, I come here on Sundays and a couple times throughout the week. I'll, I'll study, and I, I know that. And then it's so easy to put God away. And I think right now in this time in the world in 2024, it's really easy to feel like there's so much darkness going on. There's, there's wars, and there's all types of political tensions, and and all types of what feels like darkness in the world. And it's really easy to say, okay, I've got to deal with this first and then I can worry about God. It's easy to react the same way that Herod and the religious leaders did in Jerusalem. You see people all the time in business or sports or whatever in industry and, and I love when an athlete gets interviewed post-game and he gives glory to God, but I, I think there's a lot of them who something goes well and it's all about them. Something goes bad and it's all about them. God's not part of the equation. I think it's easy to see people do that. Obviously, it's not publicly and on ESPN, but in business or in family things, it's so easy for us, even as Christians, to not look for the light in the darkness, to remove God from the equation and to blame everything on luck or science or, or whatever it might be. And science is a good thing, and I, I'm not trying to say anything bad about that, but to say, look at everything purely, rationally, what's in front of us, how does God fit in this box? If he fits, great. If he doesn't, we just remove him from the equation. So I want to wonder together, are we constantly seeking God's revelation, God's grace in the world? Or are there times when, like Herod and the religious leaders in Jerusalem, we keep our heads down and we say, okay, whatever, I'm sure God's at work or something, but if you see a miracle, let me know. And I think when we do that, we end up in the same shoes as the religious leaders and as King Herod, when we're not interested in seeking the light, we miss out on gifts from God, on the opportunity, like the Magi, to meet Jesus, to worship Jesus in the flesh. The Magi didn't keep their heads down. They were curious and ready to pursue whatever was going on in Bethlehem. 
they weren't like Herod, check if it's a miracle and report back people. They were, let's pursue this light and see what God is doing. So they head toward Bethlehem and they find Jesus in a house. And yes, I'm sorry to break this to you, but most nativity scenes are wrong. According to the text, that's why it's the 12 days of Christmas. It was probably a few days or weeks after Jesus was born that the wise men got there. So they probably didn't see him in the stable. But they do two really, really important things when they meet Jesus. The first thing they do is they worship him immediately. They meet Jesus and they bow down and they worship him. And that's not something you do for, for a new leader or for a rebellion like the Israelites were, were hoping was coming in the form of the Messiah. That's something you do to a God. So in this text, this is the first time that people weren't, in Luke 2, we hear the shepherds directly told, the Messiah's born, he's right here. This is the first time in the Bible where people without direct direction from angels meet Jesus and they have an epiphany. God is with us. There is light in the darkness. And they bow down and they worship him. The other really interesting thing they do is they give Jesus gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And I don't know exactly what gift giving was like in the culture 2,000 years ago in the Middle East. I imagine it wasn't like wrapping paper and Christmas presents, but I sort of like to picture it like that. So the first gift they give to Jesus and probably to Mary and Joseph because Jesus is still a baby is gold. And I want to highlight something about giving gold. Gold, this wasn't like pulling out your wallet and giving somebody a 20 for Christmas. Gold was a gift reserved for royalty. It was a gift fit for a king. So as Jesus is revealed, as these wise men have this epiphany experience, the first thing they do is they recognize that there is a newborn king here. The second gift they give is frankincense. And frankincense is a spice that you could burn, and it's used still today in Christian and other religious ceremonies, and it sort of clears the air. It creates holy space. And at the time, you would have given that gift as an offering to God. So the first gift, they're recognizing Jesus as a king. The second gift, they're recognizing Jesus as God. And the third gift, I'd like to imagine Mary's face is myrrh. Myrrh is an embalming oil. Myrrh is something that you would use on somebody who had passed away to embalm their body. Surprising gift to give a baby, but in giving that gift, part of the epiphany of the Magi is recognizing that Jesus is a king, that Jesus is God, and that Jesus is human, that all these things were present in the person of Jesus. And that had never happened before. That wasn't a common thing. Up until this point, never, nobody ever thought about a God, a Savior, as, as being somebody who's fully human. But in the moment, these wise men 
recognize exactly who Jesus is. And they have the opportunity to worship him, to recognize him for who he is, to see the light, pursue it, and God's grace pours out on them. These magi from the east, people who didn't know the details, who didn't know the scriptures or the prophecies or how every last thing was supposed to work, recognized God in action. They saw the light, they pursued the light. And because of that, they were able to be among the first people to recognize Jesus as King, God, and human all at once. Part of the surprise of Epiphany is not only the surprise of the Magi showing up, but the surprise of Jesus as an infant being a savior, being a king, being a God, but being a man. Because the Magi had their eyes open for God's grace in the world and responded to it, God's grace was poured out on them. They recognized God in the world and received a gift because of it. They have an epiphany. They recognize the light in the darkness. I know I said earlier that right now, I think for a lot of people, it can be really hard to see the light and to seek the light in the darkness. But I also believe that each and every one of us probably knows somebody who has that gift. There are certain people I can point to in my life and say that person has their eyes peeled for God's grace all day, every day. Usually it's older and wiser people of the world who become especially good at recognizing the light of God in the world. I remember growing up, my brothers and I would sometimes make fun of my grandma Sill because she called everything a miracle. So, you know, it would be something like we'd have a, a really great meal and she'd say, oh, that was miraculous, cheesy potatoes. It's like, what are you talking about, grandma? Or we'd see a cool sunset and she'd say, that's a miracle. Or my favorite that my younger brother reminds me of regularly is she came to one of my baseball games and I was not a good baseball player and I got a hit and she shouted, that's a miracle. It's like, come on, grandma, you're killing me. We made fun of her for it, a little bit, poked fun, but what she really was doing was throughout the day recognizing moments of light where she was thankful to God for the gift of whatever was going on. She saw the light, she recognized it, and she reflected it, and it was a blessing to other people. So I wanna ask you if you can think of anybody in your life who's like that. These people are always so great to be around when people are constantly recognizing the beauty of God's power in his creation, the grace of God in relationships or in experiences. <clears throat> I think that's what the Magi were like. I think that's something worth recognizing and pursuing on Epiphany Sunday. I've mentioned a couple times that Epiphany is about finding light in the darkness and pursuing it. 
And we're going to watch a clip in just a second. It's just like a 45-second clip. But I want to show what uh, can happen learned, uh, in your words, love when, the thing that I, most I don't know wish if we can pause happened. it. When we recognize the light in the darkness and reflect it, it is an amazing gift to others, or it can be if people receive it. Herod and the people in Jerusalem didn't recognize the wise men reflecting the light of God. So this is a clip. It's an interview with Stephen Colbert and Anderson Cooper. It's not political. It's actually an interview that was about grief because both of them had gone through losses. So for Stephen Colbert, he, uh, when he was a child, lost, he had like 10 siblings, and he lost most of them in an accident. And Anderson Cooper had recently lost his mom. And Stephen Colbert is a devout Catholic. And Anderson Cooper's sort of nominally religious, but doesn't have a really defined faith. And, and what we're going to see is somebody recognizing light in the darkness, reflecting it, and how it affects another person. So could we play the clip? Uh, and you have learned, uh, in your words, love the thing that I most wish had not happened. I don't know. You went on. You went on to say, uh, "What what punishments of God are not gifts?" Do you really believe that? Yes. It's a gift to exist. It's a gift to exist. And with existence comes suffering. There's no escaping that. And it's a, it's an odd, oddly guilty feeling. It, it doesn't mean you. I don't, want, I don't want it to have happened. I want it to not have happened. You can't have happiness without having loss and suffering. And, and in my tradition, that's the great gift of the sacrifice of Christ, is that God does it too. Mm. That you're really not alone. God does it too. You told an interview. Perfect. So in that clip, Stephen Colbert, who's, you know, a late-night comedian, takes a moment, a very serious moment, where he says, hey, I am finding the light in the darkness. And you can see it, it makes me a little bit emotional, but how it hits somebody who's, who's not even looking for the light. Anderson Cooper starts to choke up. You can feel the weight of the moment. So in recognizing the light in the darkness, in pursuing it, and in reflecting it, other people are affected by God's grace. Friends, the lesson of Epiphany is that the light of God has come. 2,000 some years ago, it came in the person of Jesus Christ and a literal light in the sky. And even though it can feel dark now for us, whatever you're going through, that light doesn't go out. As we start this year, my challenge to all of you and to myself, my prayer for all of us is that we can grow in recognizing the light of God's grace. That we can pursue the light of God's grace. And that we can reflect the light of God's grace. So as we go into this week, try to take a minute, build this into your life. 
Look at the mountains. You guys know, I've been here eight years. Eventually you stop looking at the mountains. You don't recognize them. And then someone comes to visit and they say, wow, you see this every day? That is a beautiful example of God's creation. Recognize God's grace. Recognize the light in your relationships, in healing, in the work that God does each and every day. And reflect that light to the people around us. That is the gift of Epiphany. Let's pray.